Welcome to the Media Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Benjamin. In media news this week, a number of streaming companies are joining Thinkbox. We'll get into what that means for the UK television industry. Plus, the latest Consumer APCs report is out, which gives an annual look into the health of magazine circulations in the UK market. We'll take a look at the latest figures and what they mean for the state of publishing, as well as touch on stories relating to GB News and Ofcom, the independent BuzzFeed and Apple and Spotify. But first, joining me as usual is our editor-in-chief, Omar Oaks, and my fellow reporter Ella Sagar. Hello to you both. Hi Jack, uh, you've been away, how was your vacation? It was very nice, it was in North Cornwall exploring a bit of the countryside, weather held up okay and it's good to be back on the podcast. Good because the weather is dreadful outside, I'm <laughs> sure is. the raindrops are gonna, listeners gonna hear it but apologies for that. How was it without me? Terrible. Yeah, yeah. obviously terrible. Yeah, that's, <laughs> what, that's what I want to hear. Um, Omar, so we did take a, a, a brief hiatus last week from our usual Thursday podcast. I wasn't here, but we still put out uh, podcasts from the lead conference that, yeah. that we did, as well as an uh, interview I conducted with TikTok's measurement lead, Steve Lockwood. So go yeah. listen to those if, if you uh, have a moment. And, and not to and not to uh, to blow smoke, um, because you're the host and everything, but I, th- I, I really liked your... your um, there was quite a, a technical conversation with um, Steve from TikTok, but I thought it was quite interesting despite that. <laughs> I'd like to know what people think. And also got really good feedback from our live sort of episode from the lead conference. And, you know, people really appreciate, you know, that, that we were there and asking lots of questions to people there. And we want to do more of that. So, yeah. Be on the yeah. lookout for more. And uh, thanks. So many compliments. Uh, and we're only a minute and a half into the episode. Um but Omar, since we had a podcast with the three of us chatting on it, um, you've written not uh, one, but two columns that I want to ask you about. One was uh, on the, quote, uh, case for abolishing ClearCast, and the other a critique of publishers' websites, many of which have poor user experiences due to too many ad placements. So I'm curious if you could just very quickly take me through each argument, starting with ClearCast. What did you want to say about that? That's quite interesting, but that was actually something that came out of um, the lead podcast I just mentioned because I was it, we I got into a conversation with Lindsay Clay, CEO of Thinkbox, um, who's been talking about this about why don't all parts of the media have pre-clearance systems for ads, and it seems like a reasonable question. And in the process of writing that column, I actually thought at one point, do you know what? I'm, this column that I do every Monday is called 100% Media, 0% Nonsense. I might actually shall I rebrand this to I don't get it. And I'm still thinking <laughs> about doing that because I've been reporting on this industry for like, the best part of 10 years. And I feel like the more I learn about it, the less I understand. And this is one of those issues where I just don't get why there isn't a level playing field and why more marketers don't demand this. Um, so yeah, it, we have it in the UK. We have it for TV with Clearcast. We have it for radio with the radio center. But, you know, other than that, there's you, you just put your money on a platform and nobody's checking. And, you know, we leave it to the poor old Advertising Standards Authority and Ofcom to clean up the mess when there is a mess. And there mm. are, there's always going to be a mess. Um, so, yeah, don't get it. Mm. And your other column was on the state of publisher websites. I mean, this has been a topic that I feel like isn't necessarily new. People have been complaining about certain publishers' websites having terrible user experiences for a while. Yeah, and I was... Um, I recommend everyone to read um, Ella's story. Um, what was that? What was the headline? Ella exactly? It was like what what the what the independents deal with BuzzFeed and HuffPost yeah. means because it's a licensing deal. So, yeah, yeah. So it's really interesting. So we've we've talked to we've we've written we've talked about how BuzzFeed got rid of BuzzFeed News. 
um, which is really sad, won Pulitzer Prizes, etc. before. And so, okay, the independent scene, an opportunity there where we've still got this amazing, you know, well-known brand, BuzzFeed. Our journalists can essentially take charge um, mm-hmm. in the UK. This is only in the UK, by the way. And there are, I think there are going to be lots of deals happening all over the place in the media industry as interest rates go up, budgets tighten, everyone huddles together for warmth, etc. Um, but with regard to publishing, you must not lose sight of the fact that publishers have been adopting short-term tactics for too long, filling up web pages with ads all over the place, horrible user experience. And, you know, I referenced Steve Jobs, who, despite running a very successful tech company in Apple, you know, he's very well known for saying you can't, you have to start with the customer experience first and figure out how the technology enables you to do that. Don't just have some technology that you fall in love with and then work out how to sell it to people. Mm. Yeah, I was going to ask mm. about uh, BuzzFeed and The Independent a little bit later, but you reported mm. on that while, while I was waiting. So I, I, I'm not caught up. Catch me up on yeah. what's actually happened. I mean, it was fascinating because it was kind of developing. And when it, the news first was breaking, if you gave a cursory look at, at it, you kind of thought, is this a merger? Is this an acquisition? Is the independent taking over BuzzFeed and and it's going to all become the independent or how, what is this? And then diving into it more, it is a licensing deal so that it's, and it's only in the UK, it wouldn't affect like BuzzFeed's US um, kind of brands. And BuzzFeed is more than, it has tasty, it has seasoned as well. So it affects all of these different brands, which are aimed at different things, whether that's food content or whether that's certain demographics, like seasoned, for instance, is at uh, a black British audience. Um, so it was, it seemed like a great way of them sharing resources, but also, uh, you know, the independent would, they would kind of get a mutual benefit of, they would like to tap into more of a millennial and Gen Z audience that Buzzfeed has quite a cachet with. Buzzfeed is known for its videos and things. That's how I was introduced to them way back when. I don't want to say when, cause that will age me. Um, but I, uh, loved Buzzfeed's work and then the independent kind of, they want to, and for Buzzfeed to try and get some help in a local market in the UK, they can, they can help each other out. And all of the Buzzfeed staff will be moving into the independent offices okay. and yeah. that's that's kind of how they're going to work. So it's like collaboration, resources, all of those sorts of things. On its face, it looks fantastic for the independent who, if you've been watching, you know, what they've been doing since they went to online only, mm. they've essentially dipped into the Buzzfeed playback playbook with Indie 100 um, and as well HuffPost where, you know, independent indie voices. Um, remember Amal Rajan used to be at Evening mm. Standard Independent. Wasn't he the youngest editor? In the in the UK of a newspaper, uh, Ollie Duff and yeah. um, Amal Rajan was at the Evening Standard, mm. but very much you know under that same building and same ethos in terms of building up voices, alternative voices, mm. which is very much you know the Huffington Post as it used to be. Mm. Um, so these are brands that they're very familiar with, let's say, and yeah, to kind of have to to be working directly in charge of these people, it's mm. a great deal for them. Yeah, and they mm. both have a digital, you know, as you mentioned, Omar, uh, the Independence like online only. And reading into the story a bit more, it is the largest digital only uh, like newspaper publisher in the US and the UK, mm. apparently. Until someone else goes Until, online only, which uh, there are always rumours <laughs> of the next news brands yeah. to go that way. What are you hearing? <laughs> um, I, um, I, I am hearing um, about, I am hearing rumours that um, some publishers are actively looking at getting rid of their mm. newspaper altogether now. Mm. Mm. I mean, they do talk a lot about digital, their digital strategies, and they would have to be. So, we, I mean, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, I'll get 
into publishing a little bit more later because we, we have the consumer ABCs to talk about. And that's magazine publishing, but a lot of those, of course, are, are newsy. And mm-hmm. so I'll circle back to that in a moment. Um, and of course, there's other news that we'll need to catch up on a little bit later, but I'll ask that at the end. Um, the main topic that I really wanted to discuss today is this morning's announcement that Amazon, Disney+, Plus, Netflix, Vivo, and Warner Brothers Discovery are all joining the UK commercial TV marketing body, Thinkbox. Omar, what is the significance of these streaming companies joining Thinkbox? I mean, what's the story here and, and why does it matter? It's hugely significant. Um, so for, for those of you who don't know, um, Thinkbox is the, the marketing body for commercial uh, me, for commercial TV in the UK. Uh, it's been around since 2005. And a few years ago, the idea that you'd have some of the world's biggest streaming companies essentially getting to bed for marketing purposes with you know, the incumbent TV sales houses, Channel 4, ITV and Sky, um, it would have been unthinkable. Um, but there you go, like, especially accelerated by the pandemic, we're all forced at home and we're all trying streaming services for the first time. Some of us, some of us binging even more than we were before. Um, it's changed the idea of what TV is. And it's meant that behind the scenes where in the in the UK, you have this very regimented um, trading system for buying and selling TV ads. Um, the the as Netflix has launched an ad tier, as Disney Plus has launched an ad tier, Amazon in the last month has done so for normal Amazon Prime Video. They are chasing TV budgets, but advertisers and their media agencies are telling them you need to be part of the club. And there are various clubs, and Thinkbox is a big part of that as well. Um, on the other side of it, you know, we've written stories on the media leader about Barb which is the TV measurement company in the UK, co-funded by the broadcasters. We've written stories about how YouTube has had challenges, let's say, of they're chasing TV budgets as well. They're not part of Thinkbox, but they've been having active conversations with Barb about how they can be part of that whole system as well. It's essentially streaming platforms which have operated in a world where they've been able to mark their own homework when it comes to audiences, when it comes to having direct relationships with advertisers. They're now having to collaborate with the broader TV family. And it's hugely significant. And I'm just fascinated to see how these relationships develop going forward. Mm. You mentioned YouTube. Is, do you think that someday uh, YouTube would also join Thinkbox or is that really a bit too different compared to a streaming service? I think the key challenge is Barb. I mean, one there was an interesting line in the announcements um, where... They say Thinkbox's shareholders and associate members are united by their investment in high quality TV content and creates a premium ad environment and their commitment to quality standards, which makes TV advertising so trusted and effective. Notice I'm trying to do emphasis (laughs) on trusted and effective. And they go on to say such as ensuring restricted ads aren't shown to the wrong audiences, agreeing to Barb's independent measurement and having a rigorous ad clearance process. Um, CF, my column, which we just discussed on ad clearance. There are TV broadcasters have complained for a long time with the rise of um, ad funded streaming platforms that why, why do we have all the, we're paying for Clearcast, we're paying for all these things in terms of um, ourselves. Advertisers don't pay for it in terms of making sure that this is a trusted environment when streamers don't have to do it. Um, so if they're going to start chasing our budgets, then they should have a level playing field. So whether it's Thinkbox or whether it's Barb, it's about doing that. To answer your question specifically about YouTube, you would have to think, you would have to think. Um, I've not had confirmation from Thinkbox at the time of recording, but you would have to think that YouTube would want to be um, 
it's difficult for Google though when they've operated in monopolies in every uh, media field they've they've gone into. And now they're having to enter a space where they have to collaborate. Mm. Not easy institutionally. Mm. Can I clarify if them becoming Thinks, Thinkbox members, when I say them, obviously Amazon and, and that sort of thing, does that mean that they they now kind of do things through Clearcast or that's a separate thing? The interesting thing about Clearcast is that there aren't any rules when it comes to video on demand. So ITV has ITVX, mm-hmm. Channel 4 has, used to be all four, four player uh, now just called Channel 4, those are the other video-on-demand platforms. Technically, they don't need to pre-approve those ads. They don't need to be pre-cleared. But the broadcasters actually do do that. So the question is now, yes, does that mean that Netflix, Amazon Prime Video, Disney+, Plus, they're going to have to go through Clearcast as well? I suspect that it does. Um, it's not been clarified uh, at the time of recording. We're, 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 we're mm-hmm. asking questions. And the notable absentee is Paramount. Where is Paramount? Mm. Paramount, of course, owns Channel 5, has a very significant streaming service, Paramount Plus in the UK as well. Where mm-hmm. are they? Yeah. Are they going to merge with another company at some point in the near future, as was rumored a few weeks ago? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that's an, that's an open question. Yeah, because of course, there talks because <laughs> Warner Brothers Discovery, which is part of this, yeah. there have been conversations where they could merge. Um, there's There's been nothing there. Of note. You expect lots of people to have conversations in this sort of market where there's going to be a mm. lot of consolidation, but... See. Yeah, I think they consolidate. There was something with Peacock and um, streaming services was a US story. So there, there is a lot of kind of movement of, uh, yeah, in that in that area. Mm-hmm. Much of the debate that happened at last year's Future of TV advertising global event that we were at, um, sort of focused around whether or not broadcasters are able going to be able to compete and compete properly in the way that is trusted and is quality with streaming services and with other newer competitors and and where the sort of balance of power is. What does this type of a move mean for that? Are the broadcasters, should they be really happy that all of these new streaming services are joining Thinkbox, which is primarily, um, I think the main shareholders are what, Channel 4, ITV, Sky, and yeah. UKTV. Yeah, yeah. Should they be elated that the other streaming companies are, are now joining with them or should they be almost concerned like, Oh, this is our, this is our competition and they're coming in and maybe they're improving their product and we need well, to step no, up. No, they, they are, as you say, they are the main shareholders. This is their club and they're letting mm-hmm. the others in. And I should clarify something I said before. I mean, yeah, I mean, I asked, you know, where is Paramount? I mean, of course, Sky does the ad sales for Paramount channel five in the UK. So Thinkbox would say, well, we, they're already part of the club, but Paramount Plus, you know, not so much. Anyway, um, yeah, they, they very much conversations have clearly been happening in the background to convince these streaming companies that you need to start doing X, Y, and Z. Um, so it's, you know, we, we talked about this when we are talking about our agenda for Connected TV World Summit, which is happening. We talked about it at our event, Future of TV Advertising Global in December, where TV is changing so much. Um, but that means you need to be really mindful of the rules and a level playing field. And the clear class column, which we talked about before, is just one facet of that. Mm. Mm. Are we are we getting ever closer to just cable with extra steps again? I feel like this is uh, it's an admittance, right, that streaming companies really aren't that different from the more traditional broadcasters. Mm. Ella, do you have any thoughts? I mean, I was going to say that I don't think, it, from a consumer standpoint, I don't think people differentiate between oh, I'm watching Netflix or I'm watching ITV. It, I'm watching TV. And that's a conversation that comes up a lot. Um, 
and um, you know TV is named because of the device that you watch it on, but you don't do that for any other media. Like on social media, you don't say, oh, I'm watching mobile. You just say, I'm watching, like, I'm on Facebook or something. So I think it does more to reflect the what, how consumers see TV. And because they're the people that the advertisers and the broadcasters are trying to reach, then that actually makes sense, a lot of sense. Yeah, and that's why you talk to a company like Roku and they, they, they talk about owning the screen. Because to your point, Ella, we're moving to a world where that electronic program guide is so important. So I have Virgin Media. When I turn on my Virgin Media, they've got this home screen where they're kind of throwing thumbnails and tight headlines at you, content episodes from all over the place. And you almost don't know, like, oh, is that on Disney Plus? And that's on ITVX. The, the electronic program guide is guiding that content towards you. So, yeah, I think Ella is absolutely right. As people will develop, yeah, they'll, they'll develop their safe choices in terms of Netflix and Disney Plus, perhaps, because mm. they have got big content libraries. But apart from that, it's kind of like pick and mix, isn't it? Mm. Mm. And I think people have their loyalties to certain... They will, I think most... Households statistically can only support three streaming services. Otherwise, it gets too much either like financially or you just can't keep up with all that content. So if three is the threshold, but then you have your free to air content with all of the other kind of ad, whether it's ad funded, whether it's the BBC, that's, you know, you have your sort of stable of you kind of rotation that you keep going back to. Mm. And so saying that, like, you know, streaming is going to is that it's not like the main part, but it is a significantly growing part. Yeah, um, but it's not everything either. If people are paying for three streaming services on television, then that they also might be paying for a music streaming service, and then there probably isn't as much money left lying around for a news outlet, let's say. Um, and I do want to talk about publishing and transition us into the the second main topic that I want to talk about. So um, before we get to the ABC figures, there was also other news I reported uh, just uh, yesterday, two days ago, uh, when this recording comes out, um, that Pamco's CEO, Simon Redekin, has departed the organization, that Pamco serves as a joint industry currency for publishers. I just want to take out take on that news first. I mean, Omar, how would you describe the shape that Pamco is currently in? Uh, well, it's obviously leaderless at the moment, and they're in uh, in the process of uh, getting a new CEO. Um, but uh, I think we've talked about this maybe privately in the past, but we're in an era where newspapers aren't loving to report negative results. I mean, same thing goes. I mean, the ABCs now only come out really once a year. That did not used to necessarily be the case. What's going on with, with Panco and with newspaper circulation reporting in general? Well, as you say, newspapers don't like people like us banging on about how audiences for print newspapers is going down. And when print still makes up a large part of their revenue and every time quarterly earnings come out for a company like Reach or Annual for a News UK, um, you know, there's, there's still, you know, a huge dependent on what happens with print newspapers. And culturally, newspapers are still important. You can still watch BBC News Channel or Sky News in the evening. There'll be two journalists kind of pouring through the newspapers and you're sitting there wondering, well, how many people are actually reading this? I know that they're influential among some people in society still, but there's, there's always that, that nagging doubt about the influence of press going forward. Um, website, you know, the, the audiences are going up and revenues are going up, but they're not making up for that shortfall in print. So, and Pamco, I mean, I think it's only 150 odd titles which are on Pamco nowadays. So Simon Redican has left the CEO. Alison Finch has also left. Um, there's a third person who's left within the last 12 months. The research director. The research director. Yeah. 
um, there's so there's been a lot of organizational change and I think questions being asked behind closed doors about well what is the future of this organization um, we've got you know a number of JICs we've got JICREG we've got Ucom, um, we've got all these different um, joint industry currency measurement companies who seem to be doing similar sort of things mm. and I think there's just it, it's ripe for disruption let's say maybe the JICs need to be JICed <laughs> yeah there, there was a there was a thing years ago called JIC Pops um where my loose understanding it was a kind of jick for jicks um, but, you know it's, it's like when we're talking about the streaming companies advertisers measuring audiences we just want a level playing field apples of apples why is it so difficult jick mm. pop sounds like a sweet or a baked good I think. <laughs> would, you, would you buy it i would yeah <laughs> yeah it sounds like a like a sugary yeah something yeah 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 um i do want to talk about the consumer abcs so i, I spent a, a good amount of time yesterday going yeah. through the what numbers were the, what were the headlines yeah uh so probably top line numbers total circulation for the uk consumer magazine market uh that, that they'll continue to decline generally speaking uh 12.4 percent down year on year uh, it should be noted that digital sales of uk magazines rose by 15 percent during mm-hmm. the same period so it's exactly what you were saying prints declining digital is uh growing but it's not necessarily making up for the you know the the, the loss like uh, per title Sort of thing. Yeah, well, on a per and on a per title basis, there's certainly individual titles that did um, particularly well. Um, yeah, I mean, so. you've been you've been through the numbers. I haven't, but generally, uh, my uh, you you think that magazines hold up better mm-hmm. than news brands do um, when it comes to print. There's more consumer loyalty, more differentiated think, brands. It de- it really depends. Um, so, for instance. Uh, certain special interests publications did really well during the pandemic. Think about like home and gardening, especially because mm-hmm. people were home and wanting to garden. Um, and so even uh, the garden uh, magazine last year still grew 20% um, circulation uh, that has started to shift back, but it's, they still, there's some resilience in the total number of uh, people subscribing. So um I think it was down 2% this year and up 20% last year. So it's still, you know, th- there is some relative health and it depends on the title. Um, there are, of course, news and current affairs magazines. They didn't necessarily perform as well this year. The Economist is still the biggest and still has 1.4 million some odd combined subscribers. So I think it's fair to say it's still healthy. Yeah, and that's an international brand as well. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, I think we were talking about it when you were writing that a lot of the kind of categorizations that say like women's lifestyle, men's uh, lifestyle, yeah. they still have news in them. So it's not to say that there are, there is still, it's, uh, it's not all features and such like it. There, there it's, there's got a lot of other draws to it. Um, yeah. And lifestyle magazines. And I, I don't love the, the women's versus men's life. I think that <laughs> these things should probably be renamed um, in, in terms of just category consideration, because yeah, like, why, why, why are we calling why, something a woman's weekly and yeah, why, why is Vanity we? Fair a woman's lifestyle? Mm-hmm. Um, that's just the way that they are reported in, in different segments, at least uh, yeah. through our, our own partners here. In TV land, they, they got rid of that kind of your barb audiences. What was it? Housewives, housewives, housewives yeah. and children. Ooh. Is that yeah. house persons house with children? Persons with yeah. children. Hmm. Maybe, maybe something we'll look into ourselves next year. But uh, if I'm calling them lifestyle magazines, let's just say, uh, which I think is fair, they showed particularly strong digital growth yeah. this year. And is there Vanity were Fair a, a lifestyle magazine? Was that the one that kind of was called out as doing particularly well? Vanity, Vanity, it was interesting. Affairs. 
yeah. like current affairs. No, no um, it was labeled underneath lifestyle. Oh. Um, Vanity Fair See. also does current affairs. See, this is why. See, it's, this is it, the. Yeah. Um, but uh, Vanity Fair actually grew its print circulation. It was the only lifestyle magazine in that category to grow print. Um, but it was also, I think, the only one that didn't grow digital. Oh. All the other ones grew their digital circulation. Mm-hmm. So look, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of positives, I suppose. Um, certainly, if you look for them, and b- title by title, certain certainly some are going to perform better th- mm. than others. I will say, you know, you still have a sort of shrinking pie. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I talked to agency buyers, they offered that sort of perspective. I think everyone I spoke to said, "Okay, yes, magazines still have a place on the media plan, especially for certain reasons, but." client interest has declined at a comparable rate as magazine circulations are declining. So, you know, if someone wants to reach especially a specialist audience or a older audience that still does have especially a print subscription, then magazines make a whole lot of sense. And there are certain categories of brands that are probably more likely to do that. Jewelry, you would think, uh, is still going to be spending a lot. Mm, or Luxury brands in general, yeah, I luxury, think that would make sense. Exactly. And you can still make, you know, really interesting spreads. And, like, it can look really nice mm. and creative, but if your people are re- are seeing it or reading it, then of course, you know, mm. it, it, it's, it's a value proposition. Yeah. I, th- I think something concerned. that Rich Kirk was talking about, um, from essence Mediacom as a strategy chief, when he was talking about signal strength of each medium and things, some, one thing that he raised was that sometimes it's not necessarily important if that person is a consumer of that medium themselves, but if they see other people consuming it, then it has that association. So newspapers, magazine publishing, that if they see someone on the tube with it, that they still have that association with like, oh, this businessman is reading a newspaper and that must mean that it's X, even if you're not consciously making that association. And so um, that that's quite an interesting point. Mm. That, that's so true. I used to do that when I was a kid where I'd, you know, I'd have a textbook, but inside was the Beano. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a lot of people doing that on the tube now where they've got, you know, the the, the, the financial times, but inside they've, mm. you know, got the Beano. <laughs> <laughs> I will say it's, it's an interesting perspective because when it when print was more popular, it also did sort of act as this uh, portable out of home, right? Mm. Advertisements are not just being seen by the people that are have purchased the magazine or the newspaper. Mm-hmm. That's not so much the case uh, on digital. So mm-hmm. that uh, added media value isn't necessarily coming through. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to move us on to quick hits now. And first of all, Ella, you had uh, previously been reporting on one of the big stories that you've been tracking for, which is Apple and Spotify. And there's this public tiff that's been going on. I believe we've mentioned it on the podcast before, but the latest development is that the European Commission appears set to fine Apple half a billion euros over their alleged anti-competitive business practices, which Spotify have been complaining about publicly. Mm. What's the latest that people need to know? Yeah, so it's important to note that this is not a finalized fine as of yet. That will be next month, but it is supposed to be in the region of 500 million euros, which is substantial. It's the first ever fine from the European Commission to Apple and the main thing with it was that it all sparked was sparked off by Spotify, the whole investigation. They made an official complaint to the European Commission in 2019, and that investigation has been going on uh, to look into whether Apple is favoring its own music streaming services by not allowing its um, like iPhone users to be able to find cheaper alternative subscription like streaming music services. Um, so that's... It is, there's so many fines coming out of the European Commission in terms of anti-competitive, but also privacy of the tech giants that we can probably see this as an indicator. And they've just um, opened some formal proceedings against TikTok as well. So maybe see this as like a, the start of a few things. 
what is it not about? <laughs> I think there were so many things listed in the we're opening formal proceedings against TikTok for harmful content, for addictive design, for for all of these, for um, privacy, lots and lots of elements. Uh, so you imagine that's going to take a very long time for them to look into. Uh, but and obviously there's, you know, if you're investigating someone does not mean that they're they're guilty or, or anything of that sort. But it is it's just interesting that Meta has been fined by the European Commission. Google's been fined by the European Commission and they are seen as they will set examples for other European regulators. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they are the, you know, the biggest advertising mm-hmm. companies in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely uh, good to keep an eye on that. Omar, um, Redbird IMI purchased all three media recently for $1.5 billion. Um, Redbird has been making a splash with its potential purchase of the Telegraph, which the government is still currently reviewing. Um, and now this is a major production company, which uh, has been up for sale for some time, is now being purchased by Redbird. How important is this purchase? Yeah, it brings an end to the saga of who's going to buy all three media. Um, of course, um, a joint venture between Warner Brothers Discovery and Liberty Global. Um, ITV was in the running to acquire them last year, but apparently couldn't or wouldn't pay over a billion pounds. Um, this is now going to Redbird for 1.5 billion. Um, so very interesting, closes that chapter. But also Redbird is, of course, um, the investment vehicle coming out of Qatar, which is buying the Telegraph subject to regulatory approval, et cetera, et cetera. So who knows? Maybe lots of studio fun times coming to the the Telegraph in Victoria. Who knows? <laughs> and Jeff Zucker, who uh, previously was at CNN, now has uh, another new production company with, yeah. with Redbird. So he could have a lot of fun with it. Who knows? Yeah, and that's exactly, um, you know, we talked about publishing briefly before, but this is exactly the sort of thing that publishers should be doing. You know, publishers know their audiences really, really well. What... What is changing is that it's not all about being really good at writing anymore. Um, they expect news brands to do more video, to do more other forms of content. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's potentially great. Mm. Speaking of news brands, Ofcom has opened a new impartiality investigation into GB News, this time over a Q&A program featuring Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. Mm-hmm. Ella, what's the issue at question? And will this just result in another slap on the wrist? from Ofcom or is is GB News ever at risk of losing its broadcast license? I know we've talked about that on the podcast previously. Yeah, we have. And and this is, um, so there are 13 open investigations into GB News. Most of those are about due impartiality or about broadcaster opinion and due impartiality because they have a lot of sitting MPs or uh, those kinds of um, figures are hosting their shows and presenting. So, uh, Ofcom will open an investigation um, based on complaints from the public. It doesn't have to reach a certain threshold of complaints. Um, it could be one complaint. It could be 500 complaints. And they'll look into the, those complaints. And if they're, they feel like there's grounds to open investigation, then they will. And then they can be found in breach. They can be fined. They can be found not in breach. Or it can be decided, oh, this is not worth pursuing. Um, so I was looking a bit into it today. Um, and I think, you know, GB News could be... Um, find um, if it keeps on um, breaching Ofcom guidance. Um, it has five closed investigations behind it and not all of those were found to have breached rules. Um, and it also has a radio station which has also had some Ofcom investigations as well. So mm. um, I think CGTN, from what I could tell, are the only uh, broadcaster to have been fined in recent years by Ofcom. Um, 
And I believe that was for an unfair treatment of an individual rather than due impartiality. And then um, RT, Russia Today, were the only broadcaster that I know of that has been has had their license revoked. And that was due to another investigation, but um, not in it was not quite the same thing as GB News, obviously. Well, it's that, that's mm. Russian propaganda. Yeah, exactly. um, I, I will just quote Ray, Ray Snotty wrote on this topic for us this this week. And he said, quote, it would be too extreme for GB News to lose its license. But for any broadcast that has breached Ofcom's rules so many times, surely a significant fine that could run into the millions could be forthcoming. And the credibility of Ofcom itself, not just that of GB News, is at stake, end quote. So uh, obviously we'll have to wait and see, but clearly there's, uh, the stakes are high. I mean, yeah, to, to flout the rules so many times allegedly mm. and, and not receive uh, much in terms of punishment seems not so great for, uh, as, as at least a look for, for Ofcom. Well, uh, I would like to know what discussions are being had between Ofcom and said broadcaster, because clearly, I mean, maybe there's a misunderstanding you know if 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 somebody's continually breaking the rules uh, allegedly um then something is going on now some people will claim that that you know um gb news is being bullied there've been lots of complaints people are just waiting to to complain about gb news getting any opportunity they can so is that what's going on if so i think ofcom has a responsibility as a regulator to say something if it's a case of uh, the broadcaster maybe not understanding or then there needs to be because yeah on its face of it it looks like broadcaster allegedly breaking the rules and nothing's being done about it and that doesn't benefit anyone mm. well i mean yeah I, I understand what you're saying but uh someone not knowing that uh, uh they're breaking a rule does not necessarily absolve them of the guilt of breaking the rule if that makes sense yeah but I, yeah but you've got two options available to you you either just say okay you're banned or, you know the ultimate sanction or you know you rehabilitate you 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 make them do what they need to yeah. do yeah well rehabilitate perhaps through mm-hmm. a, a big monetary fine i mean like otherwise you're not making them pay in any way yeah i mean we're well we're on 18 investigations now five of which yeah, are five concluded closed, 13 still 13 open, open yeah. i mean what's the number gonna take 30 100 right. mm. and at, at a certain point you can't be claiming into ignorance if you have th- you know 30 investigations into you you mm. are aware of what you're doing wrong um anyway i'm just asking questions <laughs> just, but just you would hope questions. that there is a kind of feedback of like okay this is this is why the, we ruled this way and this is how yeah. you avoid it in future yeah uh, i think ofcom would would provide that kind of this is the result of our investigation and here's the detail but we'll we'll see what happens in the rest of the investigations as they go on. Mm. Um, Jordan North, previously of BBC Radio 1, has been announced as Roman Kemp's replacement at, as host of Global's Capital Breakfast Show. He will start his tenure in April. Any thoughts, Ella? I know yes. you're a very big fan. Very big fan. Um, he is a host of one of my favourite podcasts. Um, and I think it, um, Roman Kemp is leaving after 10 years um, at Global. And uh, Jordan North is leaving the BBC, I think, after about eight years. So again, they've been in their various posts for a while. Now Jordan's making the move from drive time to breakfast. And it's going to be a, uh, I think it's going to be a very interesting time. And there's a lot of BBC talent actually on that show that have moved over. They're kind of being reunited. So that, that again is interesting and ties into that story of BBC talent moving to commercial. Um, So it's a fascinating place to be. And I can't wait to tune in. Yeah, do you remember when people used to say that, oh, you're in the BBC, you're there for life. And now it just seems like in, on radio anyway, you're just, you're there as like a, it's a, it's a training mm. ground just to go on to yeah. global. I mean, I wonder yeah. if Jordan North, he kind of, cause he was on, um, I'm a celebrity came third a couple of years ago. 
and he's got his podcast, which obviously kind of got ads and things. I wonder if he's kind of got a little like that might be a factor into into the move. Uh, that's that's an, a theory of mine. Maybe maybe he just wants to wake up earlier. Yeah, yeah maybe he wants to wake <laughs> up at the crack of dawn. Yeah, Jordan, if you're out there, I'm also up at four a.m. every day. You know, we can we, we can we can get breakfast together. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. We'll have to leave it there, but it's been a really wonderful conversation as always. Thank you for joining. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Media Leader Podcast. If you like what you hear, guess what? You can read our stuff at our website, themedialeader.co.uk, where you can sign up to our daily newsletter in the UK of analysis, opinion, and commentary about what's going on in media and advertising. You can also find us on YouTube. We are posting video interviews and clips from our live events. And don't forget to check out our LinkedIn page, which is often a very interesting way to see what people in the industry are saying about our articles and the issues we write about. Anyway, get back to work. Catch you next time. Bye-bye.